Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another podcast uh, from Optimal Bio. Um, again, this is our wellness series, and today we have a special guest, Peter Fioretti. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, he's a husband, excuse me, soon-to-be husband, father, and successful entrepreneur. And uh, he's got a plan today to live to 120, and I thought it'd be beneficial for our audience to uh, talk to him and to Tyler uh, about wellness overall and longevity in general. So, Peter, would you mind just giving the audience a little bit more about your background? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I grew up um, in a uh, uh, small town in, in New Jersey, third generation Italian, and, um, and was always into sort of sports and, and health. Never really focused on it as a kid. Um, then worked on Wall Street, got into the big city thing. And 22 years ago, moved to Charlotte, North, North Carolina for a more healthy, health, health, healthy uh, lifestyle. And um, all during that period of time, I was a successful entrepreneur. Um, and in the last uh, 21 years, specifically, I was a real estate developer and investor. And about three years ago, um, I decided to leave the big real estate investment fund business. I was a founder of, of, of all of my companies. I decided instead to uh, transition into, I would, I'd call the second half of my life, where I'm focusing on a uh, third of my time. I'm focusing on uh, investing in very successful real estate entrepreneurs, uh, a third of my time in giving back and making an impact in the world. And a third of my time having a lot of fun and just enjoying life uh, including extreme adventure, including creating uh, memories for my loved ones and having a lot of fun. So when I first got to know you, you, you know, struck me as somebody who is all those things you just simply you described. And also, you know, you're very in shape, you know, individual. And I know you went to Norway and you, you know, uh, I guess walked or sledded to the North Pole and you know, you've done some other, um, you know, wonderful things as well. Um, Kind of walk back us through, you know, your adventurous lifestyle, and then, I guess, what over the last year or so, you know, you decided to embark on, you know, a different path as it related to, you know, this quest to be, to to be 120 years old. Yeah, great. So, yeah, I've always had a um, adventure bucket list uh, since I've been a young adult, and you know, I so when I was you know, just out of college, I uh, had no money and tra traveled to Pompona, Spain and ran with the bulls, right? Um, and, you know, I think the day I ran, seven people got gored by bulls and died. So, you know, um, uh, I, I was always wanting to have sort of extreme adventure uh, experiences. As you mentioned, Jim, um, a couple years ago, I trekked to the North Pole. My brother and I were the first ones to arrive to the North Pole in 2018, so that was exciting. Um, I've climbed Kilimanjaro, and I've done a lot of other adventurous stuff. Well, about a year and a half ago, I had a, a little bit of a scare. I went through my extensive physical, which I have once or twice a year, and um, and they and they found that I had um, more blockage than um, I should have in in my in my carotid artery and then in other arteries and so I did um, a little bit of research and come to find you know um, heart disease is the number one killer in the U.S. Um, 
you know, causing about 660,000 deaths per year uh, in this in this country, number one. And so um, um, doing homework about, okay, well, I, I've got to gotta resolve this and I don't want to, I don't really like, you know, a bunch of drugs and, and you know, pharmaceuticals. How, how do I, how do I do this? And sort of delving into the longevity world, um, come to find out there are um, many, you know, experts and scientists and doctors and practitioners who believe that we can live to well over a hundred, let's say. At the time I was 60. And so I said, well, I'd like to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have a goal to live to 120, not just live to 120, but live to 120 healthy, healthy, meaning I'm going to be able to play tennis. I'm going to be able to hike. Um, I'm going to be able to swim and I'm going to have my, you know, mindset with me at the, at the same time. And then my wife and I, when I'm 120, uh, we'll go out for a pretty gnarly um, uh, mountain, mountain climb and we'll fall off and we'll be done. So that's the plan. It's a brutal way to end the 120. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the whole idea, it's not just live long, it's live long healthy. Yeah. So let me walk you back because, um, you know, a lot of our patients, I think, to some extent, you know, experience what, you know, you've gone through with, with traditional medicine. Uh, but first question before I get into that is, you're doing Norway, you know, you're very active, you're hiking and everything else. Did you even notice any reduction in your, your physical capacity, you know, prior to going in and having this full workup done? No, I didn't. And, and what's interesting is, you know, if you wait until you notice, it, it may be too late, not too late as to you're going to die, but it may be too late to reverse the damage, right? So, so the whole idea is to catch this stuff, not just before it happens, but way before it happens. And there's and there are really easy ways to do that now. So you're in there, you're getting this full workup done, and um, uh, did they run a stress test on you? Is that how they figured out that there was a blockage going on, or was it no, more? They did a they did a carotid test, um, and then from the carotid test, carotid right here, mm -hmm. um, for a normal healthy person, there should be 0.6 millimeters or less blockage. Once you hit 0.8. Uh, it's sort of dangerous. And if you're 1.0, they want you to drive yourself to the hospital. Mine was 0.87 above danger, right? And for a healthy guy, that's pretty alarming because I supposed to eat healthy and I, I, was doing, I thought I was doing all the right things, but I wasn't. So, so that's, that's what it was. It was just a normal checkup, Jim. And I, I didn't feel terrible. I didn't feel like I was, you know, shortness of anything. But I could tell you, since I've been on this 120-year-old uh, uh, health span kick, wow, I feel so much better than good. That makes sense. And I remember after you had the uh, testing done, we had dinner one night, and you had mentioned that they were they wanted to prescribe statins to you. And you, I think at the time, the way I understood it at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you didn't know a lot about statins and because it's a traditional way to treat um i think you were going to still look into it but you were a little bit more accepting to it and then obviously you did not go down that route so you know what did you do as an individual that you could tell our audience to do 
um, in terms of researching some of this stuff. Yeah, excellent. So, so um, a couple of things. So two doctors prescribed uh, my, my regular doctor, my regular doctor and my heart specialist prescribed statins to me. And I took the statins, took it for a short period of time. Um, and then I didn't really feel good uh, after taking it. And that's when I really started doing homework on it. Jim, you provided some um, research to me. And, um, and then I, um, I met another uh, profound you know, scientist who, who is a specialist in this, and he provided a lot of information and research on this. And then I became very good friends um, with, a, with a, um, you know, a, you know, a health guru, uh, Mark Sisson, who's written about 25 books on health and, health and wellness. And, and Mark sat me down and said, uh, you got to get off the statins today. And again, provided all the research on it. So I read through the research and I did my own homework and concluded I needed to get off the statins. So I got off the statins and instead changed my diet, um, getting off all sugar, um, low carb, sort of a keto-like diet, um, no flour, and, um, and work through that change in diet for about six months. So I got up statins, changed my diet, retested recently, just about a month ago. And the results were unbelievably better. So my heart doctor said he's, you know, we haven't seen a change like that. And he said, good thing I, I gave you those statins. I said, doc, I haven't taken them in six months. So um, then I sent him all the research and we debated for a long hour on the research I had provided him. And at the end of that conversation, he says, you're right, you shouldn't be on statins. So very interesting. Well, you want to go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, so, so, so Jim, I know you have a lot of this research, but I've compiled like a summary of it. I'd be happy to send it to you and you can share it with your, uh, with your folks. That'd be great, Tyler, go ahead. You said you thought you ate healthy, but then you changed. So what were you eating before that you went like low carb, low sugar? So interesting. Um, so I was sort of like on a, let's call it a uh, South Beach diet. We mm -hmm. eat three meals a day, um, uh, um, snacks every two, three hours, mm -hmm. make sure I always had enough, you know, protein in me and energy, carbs equal energy. In my mind, that, that's what was uh, true. And so I went from that mm -hmm. to, um, you know, concluding there's no need to eat um, so many times in a day. You know, you, you know, you really need to eat when you're hungry. Mm -hmm. And if you get out of some of those bad habits, you really only need to eat maybe, maybe twice a day. Um, that's it. And you, don't need, and you don't really need snacks in, 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 in between. And if you train your body um, to get into ketosis, mm -hmm. you could you could teach it to get off of the carbs and use fat for energy, right? So if you think about if your body uses fat for energy, right? When you need energy, it burns off the fat, excess fat you have in mm -hmm. your body. And it's a much more efficient way for your body to operate. So I basically get off sugars, mm -hmm. um, flour, and you know bad calls. Yeah. 
yeah, that makes perfect sense. Especially in like what you said, once you train your body, if you're not eating sugar and you can fast for so much longer than if you're, cause sugar, you burn through it so quickly. And so, yeah, that old science that, you know, three meals a day, you know, two hours of snacks in between, it's just not how our body is supposed to, supposed to be made and supposed to be, you know, being fueled that way. So interesting story. I, in this, in this quest with 120, I am now um, um, intending to meet as many experts as I can in the, in the field. So I meet this other famous cardiologist um, and um, Dr. Um, um, Agustin. And Dr. Agustin, he was the one who invented um, um, several of the standard heart tests that doctors give today, right? So the calcium score mm-hmm. is really the Agustin calcium score, for example. Dr. Agustin also wrote the book, um, The South Beach Diet. And I'm, I sat with him for supposed to be a 15-minute meet and greet, two hours. And he told me how, at the time, how that um, South Beach Diet um, changed the way people eat. And he was proud of it. And how much of it today he believes is absolutely wrong, um, including eating three meals a day and snacks. And he showed me numerous charts on how intermittent fasting and avoiding sugars and carbs is the way to go. Yeah, because intermittent fasting, as you know, it's, it gives your body the time to you know heal and repair the cells. And then also our gut mobility. If we keep eating every two hours, our gut can't digest the food. Yeah, so it was interesting. The two takeaways I got from one, you know, um, uh, avoiding sugars and intermittent fasting, sort of the eating stuff. And two was hormone balance. Mm-hmm. Hormone, hormones affects everybody differently. You know, people's hormones change throughout life. Mm-hmm. Your hormones change, your body reacts to food differently. And so, you know, he showed me, um, you know, two people, eating the same stuff, um, you know, at one period in, in their, in their lives. And then 10 years later, hormones being off with one, not off and adjusted with another and how that really changed, uh, the, the body's health, um, and how it, and how it reacted to, you know, eating and exercise. Very interesting. You've been on BHRT on hormone treatments for a while, correct? Yes. I have. And when you uh, approached the cardiologist on this years ago, you know, was that a, an, I don't care if you're on them or is it more of, Hey, why are you on them? And should you be on them? Well, let me go back with history because it wasn't really the cardiologist. My, um, my general practitioner, uh, I was on hormones uh, well before Jim, you and I met. And um, I had a hormone um, doctor who had my uh, hormones, my testosterone, jacked up way too high. Um, not according to him, but according to my uh, GP. And again, doing research on it, I, I, I also believed he had it way too high. Um, so then what happened was I changed doctors. And um, Jim, thanks to you, um, you know, I, I, I got some, you know, different advice about where my hormone levels should be and my testosterone not being as high as they had been. 
And so we brought my testosterone levels down and uh, I felt so much better, you know, less, you know, jittery, less angry um, and more healthy because, you know, too much of the testosterone can affect, it will affect your um, longevity in a negative way. Yeah, Tyler, what do you, when you see patients like that coming in and where they want, you know, higher testosterone levels because they read about things and what have you. I mean, I know Dr. Brandon has a, a great way with patients, but how do, you, how do you convince them to be balanced? Yeah, so we always start with by explaining when you get your labs back, like what does that mean? So like, for instance, the normal range. Well, what's the normal range on a lab report? It's the average population. And so the average population is getting sicker. So if you're in the normal range for labs, you're an average sick person, like that's not ideal. So our goal ranges for men and women for their levels are just what they were 20 years ago. So before so many environmental factors cause our hormones to decrease. So we talk to people about the science behind it. That goal range is the optimal because that's what it was. And the only reason why it's dropping is because of environmental factors or age, depending on the person. And so by putting in that optimal level is the, like he was talking about the benefits of it. And there's not those negative side effects. And usually, so BHRT, um, because we dose the specific doses for that person, there's really, it's going to be pretty tight range of what the goal is going to be. We're not going to, you know, be skyrocketing because people think hormones like Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, no, that's synthetic. Those are injections, many things that are going on. So that's why we really prefer the BHRT pellet method, because we can get in that goal range, unlike say shots that in creams, they could do peaks and valleys and get higher than wanted dosage. And, and Tyler, if I could just add, add to that, what I like about your practice different than others is um, I interviewed probably 10 doctors specializing in, in hormones. I said, what, where do you think my testosterone level should be? And they were all much higher than I was comfortable mm -hmm. with, much higher than, than you all suggest as well. But when you go to your general practitioners, they all look at the norm, which is way too low. Way so too when low. You take your, um, when you take your blood test and your testosterone comes to 350, they say you are perfectly in the range and you are not. Um, that, you know, that 350 is really bad. Yeah. And I feel, I feel really bad at that level. Right. But your general practitioner just follows what the, mm -hmm. as you said, what the norm is. And that's also a big mistake. Huge mistake. And also, like you said, like you didn't feel right. Right. And so we have like a money, a funny me, one of our patients brought us like hanging up in our break room and it's talking about the doctors is reading the lab reports. And it was like, you look normal, but like the patient's like laying on the floor with all the symptoms. And it's like, you have to look at the person as a whole. It's one, the lab results, that is not um, full range, but two, it's like, how does the person feel? What are their symptoms to get right. into the optimal, you know, optimal living? Like you said, like you want to live to 120, but enjoy life. And that's what we tell our patients. It's like, this is a cornerstone so that you could fully live life, either if you're 50, 70 or 90. You know, I people have this connotation that when you age, you should like feel sick or not be able to enjoy life. It's like, no, that should be the exact opposite. Okay, so quick shout out, Peter, we're going to be open longer and longer in Charlotte now. Um, so if you're in town, hopefully we can accommodate you at some point in time. But getting back to the quest, you, obviously you've got this foundation, you're balanced at this point in time, and now you have to uh, 
you know, make some personal choices as it relates to eliminating sugar, flour. Uh, I know you're a very disciplined person. Um, so I'm sure you were very successful quickly in eliminating those things. But the average individual uh, who has a lot of sugar in their diet, for example, um, or has a lot of carbs in their diet may have difficulty doing that. So are there, were there any techniques or tips, you know, that you learned along the way, um, you know, that helped you, you know, reduce that sugar, reduce those, that flour and, and other things that were in effect toxic to you at that time? Right. So Jim, I, I just did something very recent. Like I just got done with this a couple weeks ago. Um, I used a constant glucose monitor, um, CGM. And um, CGM is typically used for uh, folks with diabetes. So what it is, it's, um, and it's evolved um, tremendously. Now I'm a big supporter of the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation and type one diabetes. I, I am not diabetic, right? Um, but what I've learned in my, in my research is we've really got to focus on um, reducing our glucose um, and insulin spikes throughout the day, right? So imagine this, if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and three snacks throughout the day, your glucose and insulin um, spikes and um, insulin is sp spiking uh, six times a day, right? If you're eating sugars and bad carbs like flour, et cetera, um, that's going to cause your um, glucose to spike. So imagine you're going through life and having your um, spikes um, way too high, right? Numerous times a day versus not having any spikes above the norm and having fewer of them. That's the, that's the goal. So, um, you now can have your doctor prescribe um, a CGM just recently in the last, I don't know, two months. And, or you could buy one. And I highly recommend it because you, you take a two week test and then you eat and you eat sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And you find out what your body likes or doesn't like, what it reacts to and what is really harmful to it. So like I found out you know, um, I don't eat a lot of fruit, you know, because it's it has sugar in it. But when I eat natural berries and strawberries and bananas, which are supposedly high glycemic food, um, hardly any reaction. So now I feel more comfortable eating eating fruits. It doesn't spike. That's so I use right. So now, if you if you want to see how your how your body's being harmed. You can use your the constant glucose monitor, or if you'd like, you could you know stick your finger and take your glucose after 30 minutes after you eat um, a meal and see what the sort of levels at. That's a little bit more simple um, if if you don't want to do the um, CGM. So I think a way to support yourself is to find out how your body reacts. Now you could also feel if you feel tired. So. You know, why is it I'm uh, Italian? I like my pasta. Why eat pasta and heavy sauce with a couple glasses of wine? What happens? I want to take a nap. Well, really? So now you know why. Because your glucose shoots up, insulin shoots up, then it crashes down, and you're exhausted, right? So now, how do I, how do I avoid that and still have my pasta? I use double zero 
flower from Italy, which isn't poisoned like the flower we have here in the States, right? Um, double zero pizza. And um, lo and behold, my glucose does not spike with that more healthy choice. So I thought about getting a glucose monitor. So you just convinced me to do it because I was like, if I get that, am I going to just go down this rat hole that I like shouldn't, but I'm definitely going to do it. So that's very interesting. And what you said about fruit, because I used to be a couple years ago, like low, low, low carb, like no fruit, the same thing. Cause I was like fruit, sugar, long story short, I was on my own wellness journey. Now I should also add to live to 120. And I started adding some fruit back in. And my body, like I want, like it makes my body feel good. So it's interesting, yeah, to see the glucose monitor to, to really be like, okay, in like in my body, what is happening right now to see what works. And everyone's so different. And I think that's the key part too, because I believe there are should be like certain foundations of what you should eat, like like inflammation. It's the root cause of I think all diseases, and the sugar causes that. But you know, having those foundations and then figuring out what, you know, what makes your body tick properly. Right. And, and Jim, you know, you don't look, I love food. I love wine. Um, I love tequila. Um, I'm not going to healthy as alcohol. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop enjoying life. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but there are things you can do um, that, you know, substitute the high sugar choices for the very low sugar choices very easily and taste just as good. Completely, especially. Okay. Go ahead, T. Uh, exactly, because I have been a gluten since 2018 and people are always like, how do you not eat gluten? How do you not do this? And I'm like, like you said, there's so many easy choices now and it's that balance because it's not like you're going to say like never have sugar again, but making those choices to balance out your other ones too. And because you need to enjoy life, you need to have that glass of wine, you know? So it is. And so we made, like, I made a wellness guide for our patients just so that they could realize that it is easy, you know, to figure out, you know, this wellness and what food to eat, because there's so much marketing out there telling you what to eat when you really shouldn't be, especially like you said, the food sources, like the, the, Flour in Europe is very different than here. Just making those wise choices when you can. And you know, I I never believed this until I used my um, my uh, CGM. But yeah. The order in which you eat your food is extremely important. So let's say, like my my weakness is ice cream. I just like ice cream. Ice cream is not that good for you. So uh, my friend who likes ice cream. Um, he did this test and I did it also, you know, if you just eat ice cream, your glucose shoots up and then shoots down terrible. And if you're diabetic, that's not good. Um, but if you're not diabetic, it just causes your body a lot of stress. But if you have, um, a, a teaspoon of, um, peanut butter or almond butter first, and then have your ice cream, glucose smooth because it has that fat and protein in there first, and then the sugar doesn't affect it as much. So you can learn how to do that. So what do you do when you go to a restaurant? Last person, the last thing you wanna do is grab the bread, start eating the bread and have a cocktail, right? The best thing you can do, get some olive oil, dip your bread in a lot of olive oil, right? And wait to have your drinks with food makes a big difference. 
And only eat the bread if it's good bread. Don't waste it. If it's just, you know, bad random bread on your table. Exactly. True, but how do you know if it's good bread or bad bread? I meant like if you actually love it or if you're just eating it because it's on the table. I think all, I would say for the most bread, like that you're eating at a restaurant, it's probably not ideal. But if it's worth it to you is how I was defining good and bad. Right. All right, so just because you and Tyler kind of ran off the reservation for a second, but just so I understand, the glucose monitor was something that worked for you where it basically monitored what was good and what wasn't necessarily that great for you. And that has enabled you to, you know, provide a strategy and a balance for your diet uh, going forward. Right. Uh, okay, great. And to, obviously we've talked about this in, in previous podcasts as well, and you've, you hit the nail on the head again, everybody is different. And the problem with traditional medicine is, you know, they, they prescribe and they treat as if one solution fits all. And we have 330 million people in this country and every single one of us are different. Um, so I like the fact that you've customized, you know, your strategy, your diet, you know, to what works best for you. Yeah. So Jim, in, in this, in this research I've done, um, I've concluded, um, the, uh, glycemic index is really a force because it's the average of how it affects everybody. Mm -hmm. But you can take brown rice and it could affect, and you can take brown rice, and you can take ice cream. And the brown rice could be a lot more detrimental to one person than the ice cream, believe it or not. And obviously vice versa. And there's a TEDx, there's a TED talk on this, 20 minutes, that's amazing, where they tested a couple of thousand people what supposedly you know, healthy carbs versus sugary carbs, and everyone reacted differently, including one of the founders of this um, um, CGM that I used. She says that she found out that bananas, although supposedly highly high glycemic on the on the chart, for her, better than berries and um, berries, much better. Berries shot her. Um, sugar levels up, bananas did nothing. Um, so it's very interesting to see what your body, how your body reacts, whether that's what, what carbs or protein or fat, whatever it might be. So let's talk a little bit about wine. Uh, obviously you're a wine connoisseur. Uh, we have friends that come over to the house every once in a while and, and um, uh, they always bring this fit wine um, that she drinks um, I can't stand it. It tastes terrible, but evidently it's got a very low sugar content. And she obviously like you, like me, like others is very into health. Um, what have you found in wines and are there better ones and, uh, for, for where, for that meet your strategy at this point in time? Yeah. So I think if you want to buy wines that are priced in the 20 to Twenty to fifty dollars a bottle, twenty to forty-five dollars a bottle. Uh, dry Farms wines mm -hmm. is a great uh, firm to to go to. Um, I don't like most of their wines; they're just not big enough for me. What Dry Farms wine does, though, is they um, test all these wines and make sure they're, um, you know sort of organically grown, no pesticides, no that stuff. 
um, um, no added sulfites, which is very important, mm -hmm. and lower sugar content. And all of that makes a lot of sense to me. For those of us who want nicer wine than that sort of price range, there are a handful of wines in the US, you know, particularly in California and Oregon, that do make wines that fit that, uh, you know, that approach. You know, they only add sulfites, organically grown, and not organic like stamp organic, but healthy, no pesticides, and they do everything they, they, they can to make it, you know, natural, right? Um, and they don't add any crap to it. And, um, you know, sulfites, is the one ingredient that gives you the headaches. So why is it, uh, Jim, when we go to Italy and we drank way too much wine, we wake up the next day feeling just awesome. It's the salt, it's the, they don't have sulfites. Yeah. And they don't have sulfites because they don't have to put that preservative in to ship hundreds of thousands of, of uh, you know, bottles of wine across the country. So for me, I pick very select wines in, um, in uh, California, but I also love the old world wines in Italy, Spain, and France. And most of those wineries do those um, as a matter of practice. It's not the exception, it's the rule. Mm -hmm. Where in the US, it's much more the exception. So if you're really not a wine connoisseur, but you like, excuse me, if you like wine, but you're not a, Studied wine, right? Dry, dry farms. Yeah, but on top of that, are you also better off just, you know, deferring to European wines, you know, French yeah. wines, Italian wines? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Small production, not large production, uh, family-owned. All right. So let's take your vice, your ice cream. Uh, are you still eating regular, normal ice cream, or are you one of these guys now that you know as bought into uh, some type of product that looks like ice cream, tastes like ice cream, but if you read the ingredients, it's not nothing like that. So I bought, I bought some of those, all types. Is it keto ice cream, uh, high fat ice cream, all that stuff. I can't eat any of it, it's terrible. So I just eat much less of the good ice cream, of the real stuff, the real stuff. And how do you know it's real stuff? When it has very few ingredients on there and no additives, then it's real, right? So when it's real and you just have a few bites, you're good. Moderation is always the key, right? Um, we obviously talked a lot about diet. We talked about hormones before. How about exercise? Uh, prior to your switch, um, you obviously, obviously did a lot of adventure things, but I'm sure you worked out on a regular basis as well. Uh, and then post-switch, has your workout routines changed at all? Yes, it has. So I used to be uh, you know, workout in the gym guy. Um, and then from that, you know, added, made sure I had some, you know, a couple days of cardio, right? I'd say as I got into my 40s and 50s, um, I took up biking, right? So a lot more biking, a lot more hiking, etc. I love exercising outdoors versus indoors when I can. You know, being outside in nature is key. Um, so now, um, as I've uh, evolved, um, I, I make sure that 
in the beginning of my day, I take at least a 20 minute walk outside when the sun's up, right? Or even if it's not up, just outside. And so you know, being outside 20 minutes, getting a brisk walk minimum is great. Having the sun out is a bonus. Um, and then I focus more on um, balance and stability versus strength. So strength, if I was you know, in the gym, let's say four times a week, um, now if I'm in, you know, doing strength exercises, I only have to do strength once or twice a week. I'm working out, but I don't need to do, you know, heavy bench or heavy deadlift um, at our age. Now it's more stability, flexibility, um, and cardio. So now, now here's the, here, here's my secret. I like to have fun. Like, I don't want to have to go to gym and say, oh, this is, you know, a pain in the neck. So now I'm playing tennis. Um, I bike with my friends. Um, I took up uh, kite surfing, which is awesome. So I'm playing sports that I really love to play. You know, I love mountain biking and, and road biking. So I'm, I'm always trying to do things I enjoy and love. That's great. Uh, for those that, let's say, may not have as many choices as you, um, you know, just due to your situation in life and what have you, if you had to give some advice to, to other folks um, to get them to, you know, begin to exercise more in their quest, you know, to, to live longer, you know, and they can't do kite surfing, for example, you know, what are some of the things that you would suggest they do? Well, listen, so I, um, especially I was, I traveled for business, you know, you're in a hotel room and, you know, some of the hotels don't have uh, wonderful gyms and I never go to a spa. Um, so it's like, what do you do? <clears throat> so I bring with me a jump rope and I do exercises that don't require anything. You know, you have a chair and, you know, you could, you could, you could do with a, with, with a chair, you could push ups, you know, you could exercise your arms. You can just squat up and down 50 times um, and you can use your jump rope. And in 30 minutes, you are exhausted and have an unbelievably productive workout. So you don't need anything fancy um, at all. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great advice. And um, uh, even if you don't even want to do that in your hotel room and, you know, walk outside and walk around the block a few times or, you know, just do something to stay active. Tyler, what are you seeing with some of the, the people that come over to Optimal Bio? Yeah, I feel like it's either a yes or no answer. Like, yes, they work out or no, they don't. There's not really a happy medium. And so, you know, we really try to, you know, show the importance of wellness overall. We're like, yes, of course, we fully believe in hormones and that's the foundation of health. But if you just get your hormones and you don't eat right or you don't move, you know, you're not going to get the full benefit. So like we are like, you know, you're talking about it's like, even just if you have a morning walk every day, that's what's huge, especially as you age, you need to keep your body moving. You know, as we all learned in like seventh grade, uh, physical science, like an object in motion is going to stay in motion and the opposite too. So, you, you know, that flexibility, the core strength, uh, mobility is key as you age. And so we really try to make it simple again, like you don't have to go to a gym, just find something that you like that you are moving your body um, daily. Tyler, do you um, do you encourage your patients to do that ten thousand step um, challenge every 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 day? Because I that seems 
Yeah, I was like, actually, we should do that because we've never really said that, but we always do say you need to move every day, especially I'm a huge proponent in the morning workout because you never really know how your day is going to end. And then as we know, like endorphins really do make such a big difference of, so I think, I think that you just hit something. We're going to tell our patients to do the 10,000 step goal a day, because people always think like you have to do so much. And it's like, no, just walking is so key, especially if you're starting from ground zero. So optimal bio, 10,000 steps, here we come. Hey, we learned something new. Right. Last thing, Peter, sleep. Mm-hmm. Are you sleeping better than you did five years ago? Absolutely. I used to be at the camp. I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? I want to be as awake as much as possible and productive as much as possible to work and play, have more hours to work and, and to play. And, you know, there all this research that came out that I sort of ignored. Well, um, about a year and a half ago, um, a friend of mine who's very fit at over age 70 said, you know, um, I want you to change one thing. You need to sleep more. And I'm like, ah, I sleep, you know, plenty. I sleep five, six hours a day. He goes, here's some, here's some research. Read it. You got to sleep seven, eight hours a day. And so... In this whole health span longevity, Jim, I did, I did the research, did the homework. I now sleep seven hours a day, and I feel so much better. Um, and I wake up naturally. I don't need an alarm. And my body um, clock um, you know, you know, tells me when I have to wake up. And so I think sleep is um, one of the most important things for your mindset and and your and your healthy body absolutely you being a high energy guy do you have a hard time getting to sleep um i have a sleep routine and i start about um well really i don't eat anything for at least three hours before i go to sleep so i don't eat until 11 p.m and then go to sleep at 11 30. so three hour gap so my body digests why? Because when you get to bed, you don't want your body working hard, digesting. You want it to be done with that. Then I, um, I do some, if I have any stress, I'll do some meditation. I'll, I'll um, relax. I won't watch um, or, or read um, any uh, news or anything negative in, those, in that three-hour period. I'll watch something funny. Um, I want to laugh. And then I'll journal. And I usually journal, you know, when I'm what I'm grateful for, you know, for that day. Just a quick journal, takes me five minutes and really has me appreciate life um, and you know and everything that I'm you know grateful for. So I really put myself in a physical uh, situation and a mindful situation, so I'm very relaxed. I also then turn down the temperature to, you know, fairly cool 65 degrees and make sure no light enters into the room. And so, um, you know, again, I'll just make sure that there's nothing that's going to interfere with, with my sleep. Also electronics is very bad for you to have in your room. So all the electronics get turned off or leave the bedroom. And so with that sort of protocol, um, yeah, I find it 
that I'm asleep within five minutes after I hit the pillow. Wow. I know I used to, I'm a person that can stay up forever and ever. And then I really realized like, like you, I'm like, wow, sleep is key to health. And so I make it a point to go to sleep at a decent time and at least have seven hours. But especially by having a morning workout, you motivates you to go to bed earlier. That's a great routine, Peter. And um, I know some of the other people I talk to, they like to take a shower, you know, about 20 minutes before they go to bed so they feel cleaner and, and whatever. But again, uh, different techniques for different individuals. So to conclude, we always, you know, ask each uh, people person on the podcast uh, to give us five takeaways, uh, best pieces of advice that we can give to our listeners. So I'll have Tyler go first and I'll have you finish. Great. So my number one is always number one, always work out in the morning, work out, I would say five times a week, whatever that looks like for you. Number two, keep learning. I think that is key. Uh, three, travel, whether it's getting on an airplane or going somewhere different for 30 minutes, I think it's a huge mindset and um, motivation. Four, just look at what you're putting into your body, like physically, mentally, it makes a huge overall impact with your health. And then find what makes you happy. All right, you're up. Okay, number one is, is to have a uh, healthy mindset. You know, if you have a mindset of, of healthy longevity, um, and, and you, you'll, you'll, just, you'll, you'll just surround yourself with lots of support uh, to, to live healthy. So that's number one. Um, number two, uh, healthy sleep and uh, sun in the morning. So sleep, wake up, outside, sun. Um, Three, healthy diet. Find out the diet that works for you. What works for me doesn't work for others. Find a diet that keeps you healthy and go with it. Uh, four, um, you know, exercise regularly and do things that are fun, that, that are not, you know, a burden, but enjoyable. And number five, um, focus on uh, uh, strong uh, relationships and being grateful for all the things you have. I, I think that that relationships and um, the ability to feel how grateful you are is, is just uh, just a wonderful, you know, way to stay healthy. Well, it's great advice. And we certainly learned a lot you know, having you on the podcast today. And uh, we thank you for your time. And obviously, wish you the greatest success in your quest to 120. I uh, will say from a personal uh, viewpoint, I've known you for a number of years and you're younger now than you were, you know, four or five years ago when I met you. So uh, uh, I always look up to people and you're one of my mentors and um, I continue to watch your success and, and wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, Jim. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so uh, much. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Bye.